Hello and welcome to our podcast Truth Be Told. I'm Shetty and I'm Shabs. We will be exploring the life events that inspire movies including the paranormal, serial killers and true crime stories. So Shabs, how did you get into the genre? I think it started with going to the mobile library when we picked up Stephen King books. That was a long time ago. I think I was 13. How old were you? I don't want to think back that far. By the way, this is not a Stephen King podcast. We're just big fans of Stephen no, King. Shout big... out to Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> and I still remember to this day with Cujo by Stephen King. I read that when I was nine years old. It seems a bit young to be reading a book like that. That's very young. I guess in them days we didn't have iPads and computer games as such, so we actually found interest in other means such as books. I've been into crime for a long part of my life. We do enjoy watching true crime, don't we? Definitely. I've watched a lot of CSI when I was younger, which isn't true crime. I've recently got into crime podcasts quite a lot, travelling back and forth to work. It's quite a distance, so it keeps me company on the way. I think that's one of the reasons that's inspired me to want to make my own podcasts. Yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts as well, but tends to be more um, on the realms of the paranormal rather than to true crime. Whereas I, I think I'm into my serial killers, to be honest. I do enjoy serial killer documentaries as well, though. That's good. We are currently watching the O.J. Simpson documentary, which is along the same lines. Yeah, we need we need to finish that, haven't we? I don't I don't think there was a uh, any books. There may there may have been books written. Oh, actually, it. yeah, maybe there were. But we um, are oh. far into that. It's a it's a fantastic documentary. If you've not seen it, it contains a lot of history behind parallel situations that were occurring at the time of the event that had a major influence on the actual case itself. It's not the first one we're going to talk about. I'm sure at some point in the future we will start talking about the O.J. Simpson podcast, alongside many other famous cases, and some not-so-famous cases, I would say. Yeah, some main... more local to the UK as well, I think. Mm. I think um, mm. a lot of the podcasts um, focus on um, crimes in America and not so much in the UK. Mm. But I would say the ma- the main running theme would be to look at possible, well, films that have actually been released that actually loosely are based around, or maybe not loosely based around, true-life events. We are hoping to focus on the movies that have a lot of evidence to suggest that they are based on true crimes rather than very loosely based on true crimes. So here's a bit about the sort of thing that we are planning on covering in our podcasts. The first case we will be looking at is the story of Annalise Michael. I don't think it's pronounced Michael. It probably is pronounced... Michelle. Michelle. Uh, There's different examples online of how to say it, but we're going to go for the English version, and call it Annalise Michael. We apologise to anyone out there who's German. Or French. Or French, who has the name Michael and pronounces it differently. So we apologise. However, we are looking at this story in episode one. As we always say, there's a truth to be told behind the scenes. So come on, join us. Off we go. The story of Annalise Michael. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Annelies Michael was born in Bavaria, Germany on September 21, 1952. Her parents were devout Catholics and she grew into a deeply religious person. At the age of 17 in 1969, Annelies began suffering from unusual seizures happening during the night, which involved her body suddenly becoming rigid, the sensation of an enormous weight on her chest, paralysis and the inability to speak. She was diagnosed with epilepsy at the psychiatric clinic in Würzburg, although an autopsy after her death, including microscopic study of the brain, did not show any changes or damage that could be responsible for the alleged epilepsy. She was then sent to a psychiatric hospital in Mittelberg, where she remained for about one year and she suddenly began seeing demonic faces during her daily prayers. Suffering from what seemed to doctors to be major seizures, Annalise returned to secondary school in the autumn of 1970 and in 1973 attended the University of Würzburg where she studied elementary education. The stay at the psychiatric hospital did not improve Annalise's health. Moreover, she began to suffer from depression. Basing her life on deep faith, Annalise began to attribute her condition to demonic possession. She grew increasingly frustrated with the medication she was prescribed as it did not affect what she perceived as her real problems. Long-term medical treatment proved unsuccessful. Her condition, including her depression, worsened with time. Annelise would begin to hallucinate whilst praying and began to have an aversion to religious symbols. Demonic voices began following her, saying Annalise will stew in hell. She mentioned the demons to the doctors only once, explaining that they had started to give her orders. Annalise also began to see terrifying night visions, including demonic faces with horns on her walls. Annalise was convinced that she was possessed by the devil. Annalise's parents visited different pastors to request an exorcism. Their requests were rejected and they were given recommendations that the now 20-year-old Annalise should continue with medication and treatment. It was explained that the process by which the church proves of possession is strictly defined and until the, all the criteria are met, a bishop cannot approve an exorcism. In 1974, after supervising Annalise for some time, Pastor Ernest Alt requested a permit to perform the exorcism from the Bishop of Würzburg. The request was rejected and a recommendation soon followed, saying that Annalise should live even more of a religious lifestyle in order to find peace. The attacks, however, did not diminish and her behaviour became more erratic. At her parents' house in Kleinenberg, she insulted, beat and even began 
biting the other members of her family. She refused to eat because the demons would not allow it. Annalise slept on the stone floor, ate spiders, flies and coal and even began drinking her own urine. She could be heard screaming throughout the house for hours whilst breaking crucifixes, destroying paintings of Jesus and pulling apart rosaries. Annalise began committing acts of self-mutilation at this time and the act of tearing off her clothes and urinating on the floor became commonplace. The priest noted that Annalise was possessed by six demons at this time. After making an exact verification of the possession in September 1975, the Bishop of Würzburg ordered the exorcism. He assigned Father Arnold Rentz and Pastor Ernest Alt with the order to perform the great exorcism on Annalise Michael. The basis for this ritual was the ritual Romanum, which was still at the time a valid canon law from the 17th century. From September 1975 until July 1976, one or two exorcism sessions were held each week. Annalise's attacks were sometimes so strong that she would have to be held down by three men or even chained up. During this time, Annalise found her life somewhat returned to normal as she could again go to school and take final examinations. The attacks, however, did not stop. In fact, she would more often find herself paralysed and falling unconscious than before. The exorcism continued over many months, always with the same prayers and incantations. For several weeks, Annalise denied all food. Her knees ruptured due to the 600 genuflections she performed obsessively during the daily exorcism. Over 40 audio tapes recorded the process in order to preserve the details. The last day of the exorcism rite was on June 30th, 1976, and Annalise was suffering at this point from pneumonia. She was also totally emaciated and running a high fever. Exhausted and unable to physically perform the genuflections herself, her parents stood in and helped carry her through the motions. Beg for absolution is the last statement Annalise made to the exorcists. To her mother she said, Mother, I'm afraid. Anna Michael recorded the death of her daughter on the following day, July the 1st, 1976. The autopsy report stated the cause of death was malnutrition and dehydration due to being in a semi-starvation state for almost a year. Annalise Michael weighed 30 kilograms, suffering broken knees due to continuous genuflections and was unable to move without assistance. After an investigation, the state prosecutor maintained that Michael's death could have been prevented even one week before she died. In 1976, the state charged Michael's parents and priests Ernest Alt and Arnold Rentz with negligent homicide. During the case, Michael's body was exhumed and tapes were played to the court of the exorcisms over the 11 months which led to her death. Her parents were defended by Eric Schmitz Leichner. Their lawyers were sponsored by the church. The state recommended that no involved parties be jailed. Instead, the recommended sentence for the priests was a fine. The prosecution concluded that the parents should be exempt from punishment as they had suffered enough, which is a criterion in 
German penal law. The trial started on 30th of March 1978 in the district court and drew intense interest. Before the court, doctors testified that Michael was not possessed, stating that this was a psychological effect because of, because of her strict religious upbringing and her epilepsy. Before the court, doctors testified that Michael was not possessed, stating that this was a psychological effect because of her strict religious upbringing and her epilepsy. But the doctor, Richard Roth, who was asked for medical help by Alt, allegedly told her during the exorcism that there is no injection against the devil, Annalise. Schmidt-Leichner said that the exorcism was legal and that the German constitution protected citizens in the unrestricted exercise of their religious beliefs. The defence played tapes recorded at the exorcism sessions, sometimes featuring what they claimed to be demons arguing, to, to assert their claim that Michael was possessed. Both priests said the demons identified themselves as Lucifer, Cain, Judas, Iscariot, Hitler and Nero, amongst others. They further said that she was finally freed because of the exorcism just before her death. The bishop said that he was not aware of her alarming health condition when he approved of the exorcism and did not testify. The accused were found guilty of manslaughter resulting from negligence and were sentenced to six months in jail, which was later suspended, and three years of probation. It was a far lighter sentence than anticipated, but it was more than requested by the prosecution, who had asked that the priest only be fined and that the parents can be found guilty but not punished. Okay, so there you have it, the horrific case of Annalise Michael. Just a, a little thing to put out there. This is our second time we're recording the feedback. We ended up messing up the first one. Um, we didn't realise how difficult it was doing all the editing. And after spending absolutely ages doing all the editing, we realised that certain softwares only allow you to record for a certain time. So even though they were showing it was recording, it ended up clipping all our feedback, so it feels like a, a strange sense of deja vu at the moment because we're recording all over again. And just so you know, the footage that we lost was absolutely amazing. It's a shame you'll never be able to hear it. We didn't even um, think about backing it up. Well, actually, I did back it up. But I backed up the recording that had all the missing parts, so that's a fantastic start to the day. So we are actually on a different day now. Um, quite windy last night i uh, could hear bins rolling right down the street it's rubbish all over your garden as well well you've, you've seen the news it's a hundred mile an hour wind so i don't plan on going out in that today if if i have to to be honest with you so what did you make of the true life story of annalise then i think it was quite horrific really um looking at all the reports and the the various newspaper clippings uh, online um annalise if you have seen pictures, uh, we'll be sharing pictures on, on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we will give you them handles towards the end of this podcast. But the pictures are absolutely horrific. Her weight when, when she died was extremely low. I think you were telling me it was... Four stones. I think that's 38 pounds. Yeah, so that's a, that's a, a massive loss of weight. 
38 kilos, I think. 38 kilos, are you guessing? I'm sure I'm... We work in a different system in the UK, don't we? I was trying to make it more accessible to any abroad listeners. I'm sure someone will email (laughs) us in. We're too lazy to check it up online, so I'm I'm sure we'll get contact on that. I'm still used to stones, so anything else is a little bit difficult for me to convert. I think I tend to stick with kilograms, to be honest. I find it easier working in a metric unit system. So often I'll have to, certainly centimetres and going into inches with with part of the business that we do, it's very difficult to um, visualise that. So we have a tendency to use the online Google calculators. And this is not a shout out to Google, but we use (laughs) Google calculators to, to change or convert when we do that. But if Google do want to sponsor us, then that's fine as well. I'm thinking you need to move away from the sponsorships. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just just as an afterthought on the uh, possession or so-called possession of Annalise Michael, it spawned quite a few films over time that um, that either are loosely based around the story of Annalise Michael or actually follow it quite quite true to the point. I would say um, the first one is Exorcism of Emily Rose. Now. Exorcism of Emily Rose was loosely based around the story of Annalise Michael. There are some comparisons to the actual story. I don't want to really give a spoiler alert and, and go into detail in terms of that. Certainly if you haven't heard of the film and you're planning on watching it, um, I'm sure you can make your own judgment on the differences and the similarities when you do watch the film to the case we, we've actually read about today. Um, however... Exorcism Embryo does go into the court case in a lot of detail in in regards to whether the priests that were in charge of the uh, ritual were negligent or not. So it's um, the Exorcism of Emily Rose is the American version, isn't it? The more Hollywood mainstream version. Um, Yes, Hollywood mainstream version, but I would say it's extremely scary. Oh, it's probably the scariest film I've seen. I mean, I've I've watched, I'm a massive horror fan, horror and crime fan, as you know, we're doing this podcast, but uh, in terms of horror, I've watched as as scary as as they come, and I'm not one that normally does get scared, um, but I would say I'd put Exorcism Emily Rose up there, certainly if you're sat there watching it alone. In the dark. Mm, It's it's, um, very tense, and it does flick between Emily Rose, who is acting out, and Lise Michael. Emily Rose's story um, and the and the actual court drama in between as well. Mm. It splits it up nicely, mm. doesn't it? It it shows you kind of what's going on in Emily's life, mm-hmm. and then it moves forward to the court case and shows what kind of was happening with the priests and the family after um, Annalise Emily in the film died. Yeah, so that that's enough on Emily Rose. Uh, the other film that actually follows on quite well from the actual story is a film called Requiem. That's a a foreign film, but again, just look out for it if you want to have a look at that. But Requiem actually follows the film pretty much exactly to how we see the script um, for Annalise Michael. So am I right in thinking that Requiem doesn't focus so much on the court case, but actually on Emily's Annalise's life. Yeah, it actually focuses mainly on um, uh, Annalise's life, her gro- her childhood growing up, and and everything that happened that led up to the events that it did. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of going back to the exorcism of Emily Rose, I uh, just thought the actress that play portrayed um, Emily or Annalise um, looked really similar to 
Annalise Michael, didn't she? She did. And if you do get a chance to watch The Exorcism of Emily Rose, you'll find that you'll recognise, if, you, if you're a big Dexter fan, you'll recognise uh, Emily from, from Dexter. And after I'd, I'd watched the film, and I wasn't too familiar with the actress herself, we'll have to have a look at the name of um, the person acting yeah. out, Emily, but I wasn't too, um, to be honest, I wasn't too familiar with her works before, but certainly watching Dexter after, and she is Dex- she plays Dexter's sister, in the series and I couldn't really take her seriously because I think I had a stigma attached to the role of exorcism Emily Rose and I always saw her in the horror role but she has she has been in Dexter as well so there's there's another one for you so that's a little bit different to the Mm -hmm. role she had in um, the exorcism of Emily Rose isn't it yeah definitely so her name was Jennifer Carpenter if anyone's interested hopefully that is correct (laughs) <laughs> okay, so a uh, bit of research there. Yeah, Jennifer Carpenter then uh, is the character that portrays Emily Rose. Some of the things that happened with Annalise Michael was she was seeing demonic faces on the walls. She was becoming quite depressed and refusing to eat. That that contributes to the, the major weight loss that she had, uh, as we discussed earlier. Uh, she spoke in Latin. We'll talk a bit about that as well. And different voices emanating from Annalise at the time. They said she had superhuman strength and at some point she was eating spiders and coal uh, as well, which is it's not normal behaviour. quite I've, erratic behaviour. Mm. She was also urinating on the floor in her house. But it'll be interesting to kind of cover... Um, what we're trying to do here really is just give both sides of the argument and try to see different viewpoints of whether... Um, Annalise Michael was possessed or not. Obviously, we're not professionals. This is just kind of our opinions. So, if you want me to focus partly on the religious side and then you want to focus um, on the medical side yeah, to it, we'll is, do it like should that. we do it like that? Okay. Um, in regards to the religious side, if you go back to the time this actually happened, if and this is coming from um, any family that actually has a, quite a religious upbringing, an orthodox religious upbringing, I would say, is you put a lot of your trust into the person who guides you. Uh, certainly like your priest. someone like your priest yeah. or depending on the religion you're in, who would actually guide you. So if you are from a family where uh, Adi appeared from Annalise's story, so Annalise was in quite a small, a close-knit farm family I would say certainly in the area itself as well where I can imagine um, you would uh, certainly take the advice of of the the priest who or, or the parish representative um, for your family and community uh, you, I mean I presume you would go for medical help but you certainly would ask for guidance well it was interesting because in the story um, her parents and Lisa's parents did approach the Catholic Church to perform an exorcism earlier on but they said that she hadn't met the criteria um, for example okay. I think at that time she wasn't there were different voices she wasn't speaking a different language so they said mm. to seek so they did kind of realize the importance of her being on medication but later on I think whilst whilst the exorcism rituals were happening they told her to stay off the medication okay that's that's interesting because in my opinion and purely as an opinion if you were on medication, wouldn't that have made her more susceptible? If she was actually possessed, would that not have made her more susceptible to possession? In what way? 
in what way uh, less control of her mindset with being under medication that is likely there to possibly relax her yeah i suppose um at that time a lot of the sort of mental health medications were just about sedating people so yeah that would maybe affect how she was lethargic and not eating and things like that and and this was at the time where the exorcist had just been released yeah. Um. In cinema, um, there is some some ideas out there. Certainly, some thoughts from people that it could have been a possibility that Annalise had taken some ideas. I would say from the actual film itself, uh, and and use that uh, to appear to be more possessed. I would say. I think with that theory, it's more it wasn't intentional for um, Annalise. Maybe it was a, like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So she believed she was possessed. Mm-hmm. So she took on the behaviours of a possessed person. Okay. I don't think she did it intentionally. Okay. Let's just look at a few of the ideas then behind um, what, what we think here. So seeing demonic faces, depression and refusing to eat. Um, we look at them first two points, I would yeah. say, first together. Are they characteristics of... of of medical conditions such as schizophrenia would you say yeah definitely seeing demonic faces is is kind of your classic hallucinations a lot of people see the devil or demons um when they have schizophrenia especially if it's being untreated um i think the worrying thing really is the fact that she said the demons were telling her to do things so in sort of psychiatric terms you'd call those command hallucinations and that's when it becomes quite serious because if the demons are telling her to attack other people and she she believes they're demons and she has to do what they say, um, that's when she becomes really dangerous, which, you know, for a family is, is, is really scary. And in terms of the depression, um, I suppose if you had a mental health illness such as schizophrenia and you weren't being treated for it and you thought you were demonically possessed then that would affect your mood, wouldn't it, really? You're not going mm-hmm. out, you're not seeing your friends, mm-hmm. people people are scared of you because they think you're possessed. I think she was in her own room a lot of the time as well. I do think depression, if you look at society nowadays, there seems to be a much larger acceptance for it. Uh, at some point, certainly only a few years ago, in my experience, there's always been a stigma attached to mental health illness or certainly depression where people don't want to admit that they either need help um some people have different ways of dealing with depression some are quite talkative and i think that's quite important that people are open it's certainly something i um when i'm teaching i i advertise this as uh, you know it's something not to be afraid of it's quite common actually to have mental health uh, illness Uh, from what i read um they say one in four people suffer some form of mental health illness in their lifetime and that actually doesn't take into account those who are elderly from what I'm aware, they tend not to, uh, you know, elderly people tend to become more and more lonely if they haven't well, got a closer family. And it's not younger children either, because depression seems to occur a lot earlier in life. Certainly when children, certainly in the UK, when they're coming towards hormonal changes uh, yeah. it, towards their teenage years, and certainly towards such a pressurised exam period when they become begin to move through to GCSE um, here. So... It's interesting because you said that there was, I think there's always been a stigma with mental health, but especially in the 70s when Annalise was around, I think to say that, oh, you were seeing the, the devil, you'd be shunned. No, mm-hmm. I, I, I would imagine so, yeah. 
just going off what you were saying in terms of the age, um, well, schizophrenia has an onset of around adolescence as well, which was the age that Annalise was when she first started getting these symptoms. And I can also, am I right to say then that even though I have suggested that, um, d- d- you know, it, there was a stigma attached to depression or, or mental health in, in at the time, little or next to nothing compared to now was known of it. So no. whether it they she'd been to the doctor and it was recognised as being a classic symptom of schizophrenia, mm-hmm. it may not have been noticed as well. Well, she, they did try her on antipsychotics, but my my kind of opinion on that it seems to be that her family didn't give it enough time to work i think they expected um to have the medication and then that was it she wouldn't see anything hear anything and that she would be completely cured but unfortunately it doesn't work like that with antipsychotics even with the ones that we have now you you have to be titrated up to a therapeutic dose so whether they gave enough time for that to work um is is something that we're not ever going to know I think. Okay so let's just move on to the next two points then so I I probably actually split it up as as, um, one point first but it said she spoke in Latin and different voices emanating from Annalise and I know we've had a discussion before about this and there is some history or something that suggests that at the time Annalise was uh, being taught Latin in school so. Yeah I think being from a Catholic background knowing Latin at the time was, was a must. But um, you see this in, in lots of kind of um, possessions, don't you? This symptom seems to come up a lot uh, with people speaking in different voices and like an animalistic voices. I mean, if you go back to the clip at the beginning um, of this podcast, it's quite scary, isn't it? You can't imagine a 17-year-old girl speaking like that. It's in The Exorcist as well, isn't it? So that's very similar to Reagan in the film. In The Exorcist, there's parallel voices, aren't there? So different voices at different pitch in, pitch that that are going on at the same time, which is it's quite quite scary or unsettling, I would say. Um, I think in terms of mental health, that's that's a that's a difficult one to give a theory to. Um, I do I do believe I think you mentioned there were monks that can speak in parallel voices in different kind of pitches. I think so, yeah. yeah. I have heard about that a few times. I'm sure someone else will but send out a message about that at some point as well. But whether a 17-year-old girl who's never trained in anything to do with her vocals would be able to suddenly do that is another question, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think that one stands out to me a lot um, in terms of demonic possession because that's a difficult thing to do. Okay. Uh, is there actually audio recording of her doing that in multiple voices? Because the audio we hear, she does speak in the one pitch, actually. She doesn't speak in multiple Um I've not come across it pitches. online, but that's what was said in the court case so I guess that's okay. another point isn't it a lot okay. of things that were said were said by the priest and family could be quite subjective mm-hmm. one of the other things I would say is it suggested she had superhuman strength now I think this could be purely based on perception because mm-hmm. if you are if, I think if you have it on your mindset that someone possessed and you already know from your experiences of whether the media and possession or what you know from from um, from reading various scriptures about possession and, and the strength that people have, you may have it, in, it. It can act almost like a placebo effect, I would think, where you you automatically perceive the person to have more superhuman strength, where that person may just be far more aggressive, and you don't see it as the normal. You're not. I mean, what do we deem as being superhuman strength? When we when we think of superhuman strength, we think of all sorts in terms of how strong someone can be, lifting cars, stuff like that. But superhuman strength, if someone is genuinely being aggressive, is very very difficult. And and I know Annalise was a lot younger, 
And I, I know she didn't have as much weight, but what did the people around her perceive as being superhuman strength? How was it actually measured? Yeah, I so, suppose there was mention of like three people holding her down while mm-hmm. while the exorcism ritual was happening. But if... I can imagine if someone's being very aggressive, it'll take more than three people yeah, to hold you down. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if you're thrashing about and you're trying to escape from people who, I assume like, you know, the exorcism ritual wasn't pleasant because mm-hmm. it broke, her knees were broken mm-hmm. from it. And there, there was a word in the in in the book that suggested that and we, we needed to explain that yeah, at some point. Yeah, genuflection. So I think okay. the specific poses, like praying poses that you do, um, so she, Annalise did them repeatedly and she broke her knees because of it. So I think if you're in that much pain and you genuinely think that you're possessed by by a demon and then people are holding you down, you, you're going to fight, aren't you? You're not going to just lay there and, and kind of show no strength at all. Okay, um, so the final point I'd like to mention is the eating of spiders and coal. Now, is that... With schizophrenia, and I apologise because my medical knowledge isn't fantastic on this. Okay, so this, this final point over here with eating spiders and coal. Now, that isn't, in my opinion, normal behaviour. No. I can imagine there's something seriously wrong for you to be doing that. Could it have been a case that Annalise was seeing other things or purely would you suggest, or actually not even suggesting, do we think at that point... She's under medication. There's a lot going on in her life. She's lost a lot of weight as well. That your mind starts to automatically act erratically and, mm. and do such things. I think in terms of the eating spiders, if, um, like you suggested, if Annalise was hallucinating, she may not realise there were spiders. In her mind's eye, she may be seeing something else. So when people are saying to her, why are you eating spiders? She, she For her, that's, that's not what she's doing. Um, and I think the other kind of opinion that I have on that is that if she was demonically possessed, then it would be kind of fitting, I think, for the demons not to let her eat food, but to do um, kind of hor- horrible acts like eating spiders too. I don't know. It's kind of something you put with demons, isn't it, really? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I can imagine, though, I mean, I'm quite grumpy if I've not slept more than six hours. <laughs> Um, really grumpy. Yeah, he starts speaking in different voices. <laughs> so um, I can imagine Annalise, someone that age, going through this level of problems. Certainly with her, you know, if she was schizophrenic, the medication she was on, the help, support, the we have no idea the sort of things that her parents were telling her at the time mm-hmm. and she had this much trust as well uh, with her priest and what the priest was saying at the time with all this and the lack of sleep i can imagine she was you know anything was possible delirious, yeah. yeah and that would explain eating the things like spiders mm-hmm. you're delirious okay i think we're going to wrap it up there today uh, in terms of feedback uh, i hope you enjoyed the first episode we are looking into hopefully getting the second episode out quite quickly. We will attempt to, we're hoping at some point to get it into weekly episodes and yeah. certainly fortnightly. focus fortnightly if, if we can in our busy schedule since we both work as well. Yeah. So just, um, we're not really going to delve into what we do um, exactly in our profession, but I think you mentioned it, didn't you, that you teach. Mm-hmm. Um, just, we want to kind of put a disclaimer out there that any of this advice, well, if it's advice, it's not intended as advice. We're just giving our opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am from a mental health background, but, um, you know, these are purely our opinions. 
Um, yeah. Don't take any <laughs> anything from it if anyone you know has these symptoms. Yeah, definitely. Go to the right places. Definitely. Um, okay, so we'll wrap it up there, and we hope you've enjoyed listening to that. And and always remember, there's a truth to be told behind the scenes. I'm Shetty. I'm Shabs. Ciao for now. Bye.